Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now, there wasn't a room from the grandest stateroom where his advice was sought to the lowest house where his news played, where he couldn't walk and wasn't comfortable. He was comfortable with this world, and he knew it. He knew it, and he liked it. And I say amen to that. This is HBO's official Succession podcast. I'm Kara Swisher, and this week we recognize the complicated legacy of Logan Roy and the world he has wrought. Glasses, that's smart. You cry in secret, hide all your emotions, and thus emerge victorious as the winner of the funeral. Well, the thing about your dad is that um, he's lost quite a lot of influence over the past few days. I can do fucking anything. My dad just died. With us today to discuss the penultimate episode of the series is James Cromwell, who plays Logan's cranky brother, Ewan. Later, I'll find out how a celebrity funeral planner worked with the succession team to create a very real funeral for this fictional media mogul. And finally, Jeremy Strong, Kendall Roy himself, will help us unpack his big eulogy, and he'll be back next week to talk about the final episode. This episode, titled Church and State, was written by Jesse Armstrong and directed by Mark Mylod. It's the hottest social event of the season. No, not the Met Gala, Logan Roy's funeral. After the drama of election night, Kendall, Shiv, and Roman have called for a, quote, funeral truce. And it's soon clear that nothing brings people together like a common enemy, which in this case is Logan's brother, Ewan. He gives a surprise eulogy slamming Logan for being a harsh, mean man. He's not wrong. But soon, Kendall and Shiv each give very impressive, heartfelt, and impromptu speeches. But as soon as the funeral ends, things fall back into chaos. Roman is in shambles. Shiv is on the come-up, and Kendall has plans of his own to fight his sister at the board meeting. That funeral truce didn't last long, did it? If it wasn't such a total fucking disaster, it would be a dream come true. We have so much to discuss about this funeral, and thankfully I have James Cromwell, who plays Ewan Roy, here to talk about Ewan's explosive eulogy. Thanks for joining us, James. I'm thrilled to talk to you about this episode. Well, I'm thrilled to talk about it. Okay, we're obviously uh, going to get into Ewan's big moment in this episode, but I actually want to start at the very beginning. Tell me how you first got involved with Succession. Oh, you know, the regular process. You know, they made an offer, and I, I didn't know the show. I didn't, hadn't read anything about it. Um, I thought it was incredible, beautifully written, intriguing. Part was fine. I had a quibble. Mm-hmm. What was your quibble? Uh, one of my least favorite things is a situation comedy gag in which a character with supposedly some ethic says, I wouldn't do that for $10,000. And somebody says, how about a million? And they go, 
I wouldn't do it for how much? (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly they express interest. In other words, all morals, all ethics are for sale. Mm -hmm. Everything is commodified. And uh, in the show, there was a mention that I had served two tours in Vietnam. And I just said, look, I have a thing about Vietnam because I didn't go. I got was one of the guys who got out because I <laughs> was lucky. I just don't think that somebody comes back from two tours of duty because I had placed him as a grunt in the zone and that he lost friends. And you see, you just don't look at the world the same way. And I said, you can't, I can't have him morally bankrupt. Right. Something has changed him. He's evolved. And um, Jesse, I think probably tried to tell me what the show was about. And I, of course, was not listening. I had my opinion about who this guy was, and I insisted volubly. Mm-hmm. And um, after about an hour, he acquiesced. He just said, okay, okay, we, we can do that. In the back of his head, he, he knows, and I agree with him. Now I agree with him. Now I understand. Actually, you don't get away with having $100 million in the bank account and a hundred acre ranch somewhere ever wherever he is and live the lifestyle that they live without incurring a cost. And those people who are responsible for that consequence have to take that responsibility. Right. So let's dig into Logan's funeral in that in that room. You have all these extras running around and basically every character from the show is back. Tell me uh, first about the energy on the set. You know, the whole setup was incredible. The secrecy that I couldn't discuss mm-hmm. it with anybody. I'm feeling the effects of long COVID. I memorize this thing. I can do it. But two minutes later, I can't tell you what the first word is. I'm thinking, oh, geez, I can't. I won't make it. They're going to fire me because I can't get through this speech. Everybody's coming up to me in the makeup room saying, oh, what a great speech. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with the speech. And I knew in the back of my head, I am going to do absolutely nothing because I can't hold this. And I got to the set. Now, the way it was set up, Mark There are now 600 people, Mm -hmm. at least. And then there's all the crew, because all the cameras are on the floor. And he says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to run it once. And then we're going to do this for the entire day. Then there will be no cuts. Oh, wow. I thought, oh, my God in hell. I don't have, there's no escape. (laughs) So uh, we rehearsed it. I was, I couldn't get a word out. The part that I remember most is I said, good morning, as I got my glasses out. And the and right away, I love audiences. And I love a, a addressing audiences for real as me. So I felt very comfortable to begin with. And then, the, then when we were doing the take, the first one was effortless. It went like magic. I hardly referred to, I had the whole speech written out myself, which I was carrying. And then at the end of that, I was just, gobsmacked. I couldn't believe that I had just done that mm-hmm. entire speech, which that morning I couldn't remember a word of. And then he, Mark said, can we do it again? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, sure, I guess so. And so I did it again, and I also delivered the speech. Then he said, okay, Jamie, that's listen, it's great. It's wonderful. We're going to cut in and out because we're going to be covering the coverage on the other characters. So you don't have to do the whole speech. At that moment, I completely forgot the speech in its entirety and could <laughs> could hardly come up with a word. Wow! I frumpered around, but it didn't matter because I'm not on I'm not on camera. Right. So let's listen to a second of that because you you're very insistent on giving this eulogy and getting up there. Let's listen to that. Don't do it. 
You're making a scene. So. I'm not making a scene, Greg. You are. Hi. Uh, I think maybe you're not uh, on for today. Thank you. I'm going to speak. Gramps, can can the fuck? Gramps? What do you want me to do? I'm going to take his legs out. Thanks. Good morning. It's okay. Just sit down. Shut up. It's not your fault. Condition. What sort of people would stop a brother speaking for the sake of a share price? Well, that's an interesting opening. Why was it so important for you and to speak at Logan's funeral? Because no one else was going to tell the truth. It was the opportunity to say the things that I never got a chance to say, that I could articulate them. And I could say to him, yes, of course, he's your father. Yes, he is my brother. Yes, we loved him. Even though he didn't accept our love always the way with a very open and generous heart. But you people, there are 600 people who are the movers and shakers in a world that is falling to pieces. And I want to say to them, what he wrought was havoc. And the havoc is coming. And it's coming because of, of the things that you do and don't do. I got the chance to say it. I was speaking to them. I wasn't making a justification or a condemnation of Logan. I was saying, you all people are still here on this planet. Make a fucking difference. Do something. <laughs> I'm going to have you do all the eulogies of all the bad people. And I know a lot. I'll call you. <laughs> Great. Good. Yeah. They starts off with a story about you and Logan, his kids coming over to Canada during the war. He paints a vivid picture of these traumatized boys. And then he later talks about Logan getting sent away, blaming himself for his sister's death. Why does he tell this story? To understand Logan, to understand me, to understand a lot of people of our generation. Uh, I had a friend who was bombed out of his house in London three times. He came home from school and his house was flat. So they did bomb Dundee. They were sent away. So first of all, they have the trauma of the entirety of the Blitzkrieg. Then they go on a ship. The engines go down and they are left by the rest of the convoy. They are then told that they are not to make a sound, not a whimper, not a question, not a sneeze. So for three nights and two days, they are silent, a four-year-old and a five-and-a-half-year-old. That is called trauma. Then they get to Montreal. So they have no friends. They have nothing. And they have a crazy person in their aunt and uncle. So they are extraordinarily traumatized by the time they're six, eight years old. Yeah. You're trying to explain Logan to them, how he got, how he got bent. Absolutely. But then near the end of the eulogy, Ewan drops hard truths and rips his brother apart. It's really quite emotional. Let's listen. Oh, yes, he, he gave away a few million of his billions, but he was not a generous man. He was mean, and he made but a mean estimation of the world. And he fed a certain kind of meagerness in men. Perhaps he had to, because he had a meagerness about him. And maybe I do about me, too. I don't know. I try. I try. I don't know when, but sometime he decided not to try anymore. 
and it was a terrible shame. Godspeed, my brother, and God bless. Well, meager. He didn't try. Mean. What did he mean when he says Logan had meagerness? What an interesting word he chose. Yeah, meagerness. It is a lack, as I say, a lack of charity. But a meagerness is an unwillingness to put yourself in the other person's shoe so that you can empathize with what they're going through. The trauma, the pain, exacerbated by immense wealth and power, which forms a barrier between you and other people, and an unwillingness to take responsibility and to see that the effects of your actions actually lead to death and despair and conflict and violence in the real world. Right, which Logan doesn't seem to care about. And one of the things that struck me that Ewan said Logan stopped trying because it suggests Logan was different, that he tried to fight this trauma, he tried to be better. What did he stop trying to do or be? Do you know Do you know anything about uh, the Murdochs? I've met him many times. I've met with him many, many times. Great. So if you know then how he begins, his father has a newspaper. Um, you know, they're, they're very well-to-do. It's a newspaper mm-hmm. in, uh, I guess, Melbourne. And then so he goes into the newspaper business. And, of course, it's very Australian. It's very rough and tumble. Uh, you know, you get into a disagreement. You get into a punch-up. You know, it's bare knuckle. And all's fair in love and war, and they're tough people. And he amasses the beginnings of an empire, which gives him a platform, which he takes then to England, which is, of course, suffering the loss of its empire. And he starts buying up their paper and using exactly the same techniques that he used in Australia. Now, once you do that and you see, I basically can kick the shit out of any of these people, so I don't have to worry about any of them. Fuck them. Fuck them. They think I'm a rube from Australia. I'll show them. I'll take over their best papers. I'll make them profitable, etc. That's the point. Not caring anything about anything that you do because you are above the law. You are above ethical concerns. The morality is your own. Right. And so do you think in this case, this is what you and thinks Logan has become and that he didn't become like that, even though he's benefiting from Logan's rapacious nature. If you watch what happens between Greg and me in in every instance, it's Mm -hmm. this guy who's obviously driven. His morals are on tender hooks. He just wants to pursue this because he doesn't know. And he will take anything. He will eat as much shit as Tom wants to pile on him. And he has one little brainstorm not to destroy the papers so that he has, because he understands, oh, Jesus, you can't bring a knife to a gunfight. So I I do the same thing to him. It's black and white. You're either in or you're out. And in a gesture, I give all my money to Greenpeace. Well, what is that? What does that mean? Is it because is he a Greenpeace advocate? Or does he want to fuck his brother? Fuck, that's right. Fuck his brother. Fuck the family. You can name a building in Dundee after our mother, but I can fucking give millions of dollars to Greenpeace and they'll say my name before they say your name. Did he love Logan, do you think? Sure. As brothers, yeah. Mm -hmm. What they've been through. It's a love-hate relationship because the hypocrisy is what offends me. The cowardice is what offends me. 
Mm-hmm. I have my own. So I say he was had a meagerness about him and maybe I do too. So I recognized that I had the same shared trauma and that partially my anger at him is out of my envy for being left out of the empire right. of going to Vietnam that I wasn't able to make a contribution like he was. But then I look at the contribution and I say, our mother would loathe this, what you have created. Right. Which he just brushes off. Yes, he does. So one final question. We have one episode left, which feels hard to believe. Soon we'll know the fate of Waystar Royco. So I want to end by asking you, in Ewan's ideal world, what would become of the family business? (laughs) In my view? Yeah. If it could work out of the way I'd like it, they would have an epiphany. First of all, I think they should all be reduced to penury. I wish they had like, uh, you know, the king in Norway, they had, to ha- they had to go to a job and punch a card and go in and do menial work with other people and start to understand what the oligarchs of this world are doing to us. Mm-hmm. I don't want them punished. I know that they're in pain. I know that they're lonely. I know that they have no friends. I know that the world sees them as a cancer, mm-hmm. but they are still human beings. There's still a spirit in there. We mustn't condemn the human, when we condemn the man. So what would he want it to end up as? That we give back, that it's a service. Mm-hmm. It's not just giving money. It's a, We give back, which is really what they should do in this country with people who commit white-collar crimes. Yeah. They should go into the community that they fucked over, and they should provide the services that they do for rich people, the same sort of expertise uh-huh. in the courts, And turn this system into a real democracy, one man, one vote. We are all participating. We all count. We all have a voice. We all have a dream. We're all the same. That's what I want. Oh, you sound like you, and Yeah, I do. That's me. That is you. It is 100% you. Thank you so much. It was really an astonishing eulogy, the way you delivered that. And in all its awkwardness and anger, it was, was beautifully done. And I appreciate you talking to us today. Thanks so much. Now it's time to get into the real world of succession, and today we're learning just how much work it is to pull off a celebrity funeral. I'm joined by Bill Villanova, who worked for the succession team on this episode. He is the president of the Frank E. Campbell Funeral Chapel, which opened in the 1800s and has staged funerals for people like Jackie Kennedy, Judy Garland, and Heath Ledger. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Bill. Thank you, Kara. Pleasure to be here. So why are the rich or famous people sort of different from everybody else's? What, do you, what is different about Frankie Campbell compared to others? Well, Frankie Campbell, we're known for having magnificent resources for all families, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're a family of means or whether it's a family that just desires to have uh, an exceptional funeral service. We have resources, whether it be uh, private planes, yachts, staffing. People make decisions their entire life, and where they go to college, who they marry, where they live, where they go on vacation. And uh, what's also important is that they also make the decision how they're remembered. If Logan Roy was real, I feel it would definitely go to you for the funeral. Um, Who on the succession team did you consult with directly and what did they want to know about putting together a funeral of this scope? Well, I had the pleasure of my first conversation was with uh, Mark Millad. And I guess it was through my conversation and uh, he had a clear understanding of of what we provide here. And and he's the one that uh, I guess had the idea for me to be a consultant. 
they wanted to know, you know, how, how do we approach a funeral? You know, what is the dialogue? What are some of the questions that we have for families? Uh, how do we handle logistics? How does the procession move through uh, a cemetery? How does the procession mm-hmm. move in New York City? You know, obviously, we overcome obstacles with traffic every day. Mm-hmm. All of uh, those questions, and maybe you see it uh, on the show, maybe you don't, but mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into uh, planning a funeral. What kind of casket did you pick? The casket that was used uh, was a, a high-quality premium uh, mahogany. Mahogany casket. So what are some of the parts of funeral you know, that we may not know to pay attention to, but you worked hard to get right? What's one part that people maybe don't notice? Well, you know, on succession, it is the timing. It's the way that we are coordinating that very succinct moment when the clergy comes down off the altar and we are coming up the stairs with our pallbearing team to bring the casket into the church, that everyone is seated where they need to be, and that all the cues are hit. And those details are very granular. Mm-hmm. People see the broad strokes. People see everything that's happening, and it looks great, but there's a lot of detail that goes into that. Even some funerals that we have uh, are by invitation. So then we need to have a whole yeah. other level of uh, staff and to coordinate uh, the arrival of guests and how they are brought into a specific venue, because we want to uh, ensure that that family's needs are met. Yeah. Is there a problem with funeral crashers? I had no idea. Wedding crashers, sure. <laughs> well, I, I can't say that there's a problem with funeral crashers. I, I can say that some of the services that we provide include a private security detail, and sometimes there's a public security detail, depending on who the person is that uh, has passed away and we're providing the services for. Quite often, we do have private medical staff standing by. We have uh, extra vehicles on standby should that be needed. Wow. And quite often, and here's something that people may not know, in a lot of our high-profile funerals, we will actually have two hearses ready for the funeral. One, which is the main hearse, which is part of the service. And then we have another hearse that follows behind, you know, just in case you know, there's a problem with the primary hearse. Wow, that would be bad, right? On the BQE, a problem on the BQE, <laughs> that would be bad. Well, we, we haven't had to use it, but it's it's one of those nice to have, they call it belt and suspenders, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So how much should a funeral like this cost? Just ballpark it for me. I would say that Logan Roy's funeral would, would definitely be a, a funeral of every bit of six figures. Six figures, like what figure? High six figures? <laughs> I'd say it's probably well over $100,000 for Logan Roy. You can't take it with you, so that's a really good argument for spending a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of funeral jokes. I put the fun in funeral, Bill. That's what my funeral home would be called. I put the fun in funeral. Are you looking for a job, Kara? <laughs> I would be the worst. I would, like, I would repel your clients. I'm like, oh, well, everybody dies. Um, so tell me about this church where it was filmed. Why is this the right place? Explain the location. Certainly. St. Ignatius Loyola is an iconic Upper East Side church, you know, well-known for its grandeur, uh, right on Park Avenue, the architecture, the history. We've had a lot of funerals there of noteworthy individuals. Jackie Kennedy, she would go there for Mass on occasion. Mm-hmm. So there's great, great history. It's a grand church, and it truly is accommodating for large-scale funerals as uh, Logan Royce. Right. Right. Absolutely. What would be in real life? What is the most challenging part of planning that funeral? Is it the family? The family's really dysfunctional. I don't know if you've noticed. 
If I were meeting with the Roy family, every bit of it would be to get everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, it, it's all about Logan Roy. Yeah. And that would be the dialogue that I would have with the children saying, guys, you know, this is the opportunity for you to put your personalities aside and your opinions aside. And let's focus on your dad. You know, what would Logan want? Uh, what represents his legacy? What represents everything that he built? And uh, how can we best memorialize him? I would ask the the Roy family, you know, tell me something about Logan that not everybody knows. Yeah. The opening credits, they show these four kids standing on a porch. You know, take me back to that opening credit. What were those extra special memories of your father back then before everything became so contentious? I believe those opening credits just show what a bad father he was. Is there a color scheme for bad father or not? No, no. So the processional in this episode felt so specific, very choreographed. Can you tell us what's happening during the processional? Uh, You're talking about coming into the church? Yes, they were just carrying the casket, correct? Right. We have a professional casket team. I would assume you don't want to drop the casket. Uh, You're exactly correct. Uh, So we have a professional casket team that will shoulder the casket in and out of church, and and, uh, hopefully that's something that you can uh, appreciate when you're watching this episode. Mm -hmm. I was worried. (laughs) And with regards to uh, the casket, as it was escorted from the rear of the church towards the altar— Usually that could be uh, members of the family. The members mm-hmm. of the family walked behind us, and then there was uh, close friends uh, and colleagues, and obviously uh, Logan's brother escorted the casket to the altar and then was seated with the family. Right. You don't want Connor Roy carrying it. Any of those Roys could not carry that casket, would be my guess. Very heavy. Correct. We're not talking about one simple motion. It's choreographed on the shoulders of our casket bearers that provide this service. We are the professionals, and our team are the ones uh, that do this every day. And and I think that that's one of the reasons why so many people uh, select Frankie Campbell, the funeral chapel, for their family service. 100% not dropping, right? Something like that, which I think you have to kind of have a 100% record in that regard. That could be a guarantee. I'm curious about the seating arrangements for big funerals like this. We see Carrie getting a front row seat. How do you navigate the politics of where people sit Well, there's a hierarchy. So we always sit the uh, immediate members of the family closest uh, up front in the first pews, closest to the casket. And that's the realism that I was hoping to deliver for Mark and for Jesse Armstrong, that when people are are looking at this funeral, they can say, oh, well, that was done properly. This was done this way for a a specific reason. And by showing that, it it was not only good for uh, the production, but it was also good for funeral service in general, that people are seeing this done correctly. So did you like how Logan's earlier wife got Logan's current wife to let the mistresses sit with him? That was kind of (laughs) nice. Yeah, I I guess so. (laughs) I bet you've encountered that before would be my guess. And you don't have to say anything, Bill. You're very discreet, but I suspect you've had that before. Thank you. I was going to ask about the mausoleum, $5 million. Is that a good deal? Considering the one that was used for the cemetery scene, uh, the answer is yes. Yes, really. It's never just about the, um, it's not just the mausoleum, it's about the uh, the property that surrounds it. And the mausoleum that was used uh, is really just, uh, it's, it's magnificent. Is someone in there? Is it used? No. No, good, few. That definitely would not have been an option. No, no, that would be tasteless, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mausoleum was something. My grandmother wanted not to be buried. She said, if you throw dirt on my face, I'll haunt you the rest of your life. And I hope that you listen to her wishes. I do not want to be uh, haunted by my grandmother, trust me. 
Let me ask you, actually, I do have a final question. What kind of funeral do you want? You know what? That is a great question. So what what I'd like to do, uh, I would love to have, and, and I've started to prepare some of this, I would love to have a very traditional funeral and have the ability to have people, you know, experience a, a funeral just like Logan Roy's, not as large, obviously, because I'm not a I'm not a, a noteworthy uh, individual. But I think it's important for my profession that we continue to share our rites and rituals and funerals are important. Yeah, it's a moment. You're going to hate mine. I'm going to just disappear and then people can have a party. That's what I'm doing. No one's going to find me. Well, I can, I can share I can share a thought that I had with you. I I would I would love to leave the church with uh kind of walk through the vestibule uh, in the rear of the church through the doors and they close behind me. Yeah. And then I'm placed in a hearse and by the time everybody leaves the church, the hearse is gone. And nobody knows where I am except for my my family and my close friends. Love it. I do too. Love it. Just gone, gone. Yeah. That sounds, and then make them have a party. So they yeah. do have fun at a funeral. Anyway, thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait for your next funeral. I cannot. <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. Before we leave, we have one final special guest this week. Jeremy Strong is with us, also known as Kendall Roy. He's going to be coming on our last episode of this podcast. But we have some questions for episode nine, Jeremy, if you don't mind. Thanks for having me. I'll try to answer. Episode nine is a big one for Kendall. I want to talk about the eulogy for an unplanned eulogy. It's pretty damn good. He gives a counter to Ewan's. What's the essential thing that Kendall wanted to convey in this speech about his dad? The vitality and the life force and the vigor of this man. It's a wonderful moment for Kendall, I think, to get to what he sees as speaking the truth. I mean, we've seen him in episode six in the Living Plus presentation. There's a certain kind of grandiosity to his public speaking, and he sometimes rises to the occasion in a character that we've seen so often miss the mark. Mm-hmm. Like, as in that rap from many seasons ago. Yeah. What, you think that's missing the mark? (laughs) I think it was perfect, actually. (laughs) But this one, in a way, because he hadn't prepared for it and he hadn't planned to do it, which he probably would have agonized over, and the prepared version, like all of us, might have been not as good. Right. There was something about the gauntlet that had been thrown down by Ewan denigrating his memory. But also, it's a beautiful piece of writing by Jesse that I had very little time to learn, (laughs) but that he acknowledges, that Kendall acknowledges that his father was a brute, that a lot of what Ewan said is true, and that he himself has said it. You know, he called him malignant presence in the end of season two. But I think getting to, you see through Kendall's eyes, his reverence for his father. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we see that it's it's not about like market cap. It's about the life force of the man and the things that he wrought. Yeah, the comfortable with this world was a great way to put it. Oh, it's just, you know, honestly, that's just the writing. Yeah. That is like, that is just brilliant, brilliant, precise writing. He's also playing to the crowd. There are many people out there who will always tell you no. And there are a thousand reasons there. I mean, there always are a thousand reasons not to, to not act. But he was never one of those. 
He had a, a you know, he had a vitality, a force that could hurt. And it did. But my God, the sheer, the, the, I mean, look at it, the lives and the livings and the things that he made. And the money. <laughs> yeah, the money. And then I go on to talk about the money. You know, that like that's the elephant in the room. That's the dirty secret. That's really what we're all there for. That is my father's legacy, is money. And that money, and a lot of the great economists would agree with this, he calls them the corpuscules of life, mm -hmm. that it is something quickening that, that makes the world turn. Right. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's a brilliant speech. Now, his alliances are shifting a lot in this episode. He loses Jess. He's recruiting Hugo and Colin. He's praying to fight Shiv at the board. We know from episode eight that he wants to run it alone without Roman. As we head into the finale, what is Kendall thinking without giving away anything? I mean, it's kind of like a Dracarys moment mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. for, for Kendall, which, you know, starting from the end of episode six, really. I think he can see the end game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things happen in nine. Him feeling blamed for the election and his culpability in making this kind of Faustian bargain, really. Uh, he's compromised himself utterly. Yeah. And he knows it. And I think he's in turmoil. You know, the real moral jeopardy that we see in, in episode eight. But Rava calling him on that and taking the kids out of the city and then Jess also defecting. I mean, in a way, his assistant, Jess, mm -hmm. I mean, she's such a fantastic character and, and Juliana Canfield is a brilliant actor. Brilliant. And I love that they gave her this great scene, mm -hmm. but she's in a sense, one of the only people that Kendall has left. Everyone else is gone. And Shiv has a relationship with Tom. Shiv has these other characters we see in relationship with other people. And Jess is sort of the one place that Kendall feels safe. So for it to come from there is is a real, like, mortal wound for Kendall. But he keeps pressing on. But he keeps pressing on, but he's really, I think, unseated by that a bit, which only sharpens his need to get what he wants. Right. So I think he's just doubling down. And then the hinge of the episode really is Roman kind of shitting the bed, in his speech, and Kendall taking the mantle, and it's another triumph. He's moving from strength to strength, in a sense, and and the room feels it. And he feels, you know, they joke about the Coronation Demolition Derby, but it is his father's funeral and simultaneously Kendall's coronation. I leave that church. There's a, been a profound transformation from the way I walked into that church to the way I leave that church. And then the sort of hatching plots with Hugo, there is just a determination in the character. I think more and more we see that he is Logan Roy's son and that Logan is his middle name. And taking Colin as his bodyguard, putting on the armor for sure. Yeah, that's right. We're getting ready to go into battle. So we will see what happens if he can continue on that path or not. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. I can't wait to talk to you about next week and how it all ends. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kara. 
I want to thank my incredible lineup of guests, James Cromwell, Bill Villanova, the funniest funeral director I've ever interviewed, and Jeremy Strong. There's just one episode left, folks. Next week, it's the series finale of Succession. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts so you never miss an episode. The official HBO Succession podcast is a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Barry Finkel and Gabrielle Lewis. Our producers are Elliot Adler, Ben Goldberg, and Noah Camuso. Our editor is Darby Maloney. Engineering and mixing by Hannes Brown. Production music is courtesy of HBO. Special thanks to Michael Gluckstadt, Kenya Reyes, and Savon Slater at HBO Podcasts. And I am, of course, Kara Swisher. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, just one last time. In the meantime, I hope Connor and Willa get a chance to share their unique eulogy with the world. All right, well, it's formally inventive. That's one of the things that we like most about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that this eulogy is going to leave us open to legal action. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Yellow. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. <laughs>